This podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Now you can receive your free audiobook if you go to audible.com and sign up to become a member. Now if you sign up for a gold membership, you will get a free audiobook that you can download and listen to. And if you cancel your membership, you can keep the audiobook forever. That's at audible.com. Music. Hi, how are you going? Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Hi. I've got to be honest, I was going through the um, the stock audio stuff that I use, which is usually the start of the process. I'll go through and just search for, you know, just a song after song after song. And every now and then I come across a song that I think, oh, that's that's really cool. Um, not quite in line with, you know, just the relaxing start of the tune and stuff like that. And so I come across this one, and yeah, it's not really quite in line with what I normally do, but I like it. I like it a lot, and I just wanted to chuck it in, so hope you like it. Hi. It's been a while. Um, I've been up to some adventures and stuff like that, and... I can't wait to tell you all about it. I have a bunch of stuff to talk about today, and so I hope you kick back and relax wherever you are in the world right now. Hopefully you're enjoying your comfy place. One thing occurred to me, you ever have one of those moments where you, something happens and it's, it triggers a whole bunch of memories. Takes you on a bit of a guided tour of your life. You're down that corridor and there's the person with a little name tag that says, in my case, Andrew. The person looks very familiar, possibly just like me. And there's all these moments, you know, in my life down this corridor. For some reason, I'm picturing my life as a museum. And down this corridor, it's the... Hall of Cheers. Now, let me explain. That's not my love affair for the TV show Cheers. It was good. Personally, I thought Frasier was a lot better. That's just me. But not that kind of Cheers, but the clinking of glasses and Cheers. Anyway, what I wanted to do today was tell you seemingly a bunch of stories of moments in my life that are linked with the one common thing. Cheers. It really struck me because once when, when this happened, it, it was one of those moments where the way that people, you know, clink glasses and say cheers and stuff like that may differ, but the meaning is the same no matter where you are in the world. You want to have a good time. People are being friendly. 
and it's just awesome. So anyway, I'll tell you a bunch of stories about this, and I know you have your stories as well, and I would love to hear about them. So I'm, I haven't figured this out yet, but by the time this thing goes up, I'll have a spot on my website where you can, by all means, just hit me a line. And if you have your story, then please tell me about it. I would love to hear about it. So yeah, shoot me a line. Again, I haven't figured that bit out, but I will somehow. And by the time this thing goes out the door, it'll be up there. So let's begin. The first story takes place in the country of Vietnam. I was on holidays there, and I think it was... It doesn't really matter the year, but... I'm pretty sure they're doing exactly the same thing now as opposed to back then. But I was there on holidays and I was meeting lots of friends, friends of friends and things like that. And I was invited out. Now, let me set the scene. It's a hot, but not too hot, uh, night. It's got that sort of dustiness in the air. It's about 27 degrees Fahrenheit. I think that's about 80, uh, no, 27 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is, Fahrenheit. And now I need to know. One second. What's 27 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit? 80, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. I was right. Yay. Okay. So it's about 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was one of those great nights where we planned to go out to, you know, a bar. And drink. Now, I knew some people that spoke English, but that was about one, and they they were, you know, friends with the people that, that didn't speak English, so I was pretty much the only person in the entire place that didn't speak English. We arrive. We get off the, the bikes, going through these varied alleyways where the gold amber lights sort of would shine through the locations, you know, the street lights and stuff like that. And we'd step through into the all-American bar. And we step in and American music's playing. They've got neon signs everywhere. And yeah, it's it's an all-American bar. I didn't expect to see an all-American bar, but hey, fantastic. So we get down, we find our place. And before you know it, the drinks start, you know, start coming around. Now, I'm one of those people that whenever I go out, you know, I really want to know what I'm going to talk about with someone, ask questions and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, I don't know any Vietnamese opposed to, sorry, except for one, some swear words. Two, I think they're swear words, but they're more like just insults. Three, I could order a couple of things in a restaurant. So, I really can't use the first two at my disposal because, well, you know, friendship's going to get cut pretty short there. And frankly, I didn't want to, you know, insult insult someone as soon as you meet them. I don't like insulting people at all, to be honest, but especially when when you see them. So I didn't really have any, you know, English language, sorry, Vietnamese at my disposal, and they didn't speak any English. Now, this sounds like a recipe for a night that's going to be a disaster, but let me rest assured, it was the absolute opposite. It was one of the great nights of my life, 
going up. Beers are ordered. They're plonked down. I first come across my cultural um, differences uh, between there. So they, they'll actually get the beer, pour it into a glass, and then get a large square block of ice and bang, right into the beer. I'm looking on in horror. And they look at me and they just they hold the glass up and they say, Yodi. Now, Yodi in, in Vietnamese is like, get drink in you. Pretty much. But it's their cheers. And so they'll say, Yodi. Hold up the glass. I instantly know what's going on. And I clink the glass. And I say, Yodi. One of the guys answers that. Yo. Down it goes. Now, normally in when you know when I go out, I, you know, that the, the cheers is like the start of the night. You'll say something meaningful or whatever, and then you're on to conversation. What I found when I went out that night is every single time you would pick up your class, someone would cheers. They would do the cheers. And so there'd be conversation going on. I wouldn't have a clue. And someone would be just pick up his glass and go, Yo D. And then you'd be cheering away. And it was absolutely and utterly awesome. This it only has just begun, mind you. This is a recipe that builds up into something that's fantastic. So we're talking. There's sign language. I'm pointing. You know, the typical things. I tried, I'm going to be honest, in speaking English and then doing that old cliche of if I spoke English slower and louder, whether they would understand. I'm surprised they didn't. But then there was Yodi and I'd pick up the glass and Yodi. Again and again and again and again and again. And the alcohol is flowing. The laughter is happening. It's it's fantastic. And then I start to see around the bar other people doing the same thing. Yodi. And, you know, the alcohol's kicking in and the laughter and the happiness in the room is infectious absolutely and utterly infectious. And I'm not just saying that as an excuse because I was starting to become, as they say in the newspapers, when a celebrity goes out drinking here in Australia, tired and emotional. It was the room. Okay, it was a little bit of the alcohol and the room. I see to myself to the right, down by a table. There's about six people sitting around a table. Again, as American music plays, I think it was Stevie Ray Vaughan, which just blew my mind. It's one of those things to hear one of your favorite songs on the radio, but to hear it in a bar in Vietnam when you've already been there for a while, so you're starting to feel a little homesick for sort of Western stuff, and that comes on. Mm. Anyway, they are over the bar. I'm sorry, they're on the table, and one of the people stands up, and he does this build up of the word yodi as if it was kind of like a I don't know I'm just going to say it it's like yodi and then all the people would join in and they would clink their glasses and they would cheer and then there'd be laughter and there would just be slapping of backs like it was it was the funniest thing in the world and I look over and I am just 
I've got the crow's feet in the eyes because I'm just grinning. And it's just one of those moments where you just come together and go, we are just all the same, aren't we? We just want to have a good time and laugh, spend time with friends. And what a great way. But it's not over. Once, the, about a half an hour or possibly an hour, time is a weird thing when you go out. It could have been five minutes. And from there, people from other tables started coming over to other tables. And they would, you know, turn up, complete strangers, slap the shoulder of someone, and then just interrupt whatever was being said. And then it would be, yo, and whoever it was, didn't matter, everyone would return. Yo, D. And they would just cheer and clink glasses and, 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 and beer would slosh everywhere. It's like I was in a Vietnamese Valhalla. It was wonderful. And I needed to be a part of this. So, standing up, going over, I, I you know, walk up to one of these tables. I'm a little nervous, but, you know, suppressed by the, uh, by the, the liquid courage. And I reach over. And I hold my beer mug up. And in the, the blink of an eye, I make contact with some local Vietnamese. There is a shock initially, but there is this instant joyous celebration that there's this, this guy, uh, you know, Caucasian guy, totally embracing you know, their culture. And the cheer was so loud. Yo, dee. And we clink glasses, and I am instantly best friends with all of these people and they're slapping my back like I've just done an amazing thing I feel fantastic so good I think Foo Fighters started playing on 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 the uh, overhead which is just awesome and then I they try speaking Vietnamese I, I try you know sorry they try speak English I, I try speak you know Vietnamese um, mostly to explain that I, I can't speak Vietnamese, except for the insults and, you know, ordering food and stuff like that. And, but we're friends and we're getting along and there's laughter. And then I go back to my, you know, my table with a bunch of people and they're just all happy, laughing at the fact that I did something completely silly. And then this, you know, Yodi just keeps going around and round and round. I think by about the one o'clock mark, it got so raucous you wouldn't even start you know saying yo d until you actually counted in like a one two three cheers where their version was like mop high bar ah see i can count i can say something in vietnamese anyway mop high bar yo d and they would count this in by then if someone would start this pretty much the entire bar would get in on it so good so incredibly good. So by then, um, the night is is over. We drive back. I'm dr- driving along in a in a scooter through these alleyways, and there's a guy sitting on the side of a you know a street eating some noodles because there's a little roadside joint with some noodles. There's always a roadside joint with noodles. Again, it's one of those universal truths, isn't it? That if there is a pub or a nightclub, there will be someone on the street selling some kind of food. And God love them. They are the true jewels of this society. 
because I don't know about you, but I've been those nights, be it a kebab, be it some sort of fast food, maybe it's a bowl of noodles, it doesn't matter, but sometimes when you're on that way home and you just have that fast food, it's a, it's a little slice of heaven. So as a person looks up, I'm singing at the top of my voice whilst riding along on a little 100cc scooter, the Monty Python song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. While well, this Vietnamese guy behind me, one of our friends, he was a, he was a little worse for wear. Um, he was chuckling. Um, couldn't understand a word I was saying, obviously, but yeah, he liked the jaunty tune. And I'll never forget the image of a guy with his noodles half to his mouth, sitting on the side of the road, just openly staring at two guys going along, one chuckling and the other one singing some strange song at about three, possibly four o'clock in the morning. After about a hundred, maybe even a thousand cheers. Story number two. I'm in Australia this time, so let's let's talk about my own country. And I'm in a bar. These are gonna there's gonna be a pattern with this. This is the result of going away to one of the little country towns. I love doing this. As you go out to the country towns, you get, you go back in time, and it's the more of the classic sort of Australiana. Although, in saying that, I don't know what that is, but it's more of your cliche style. I'm at the bar. I'm ordering a beer. And there's a guy next to me. And he looks like he's had a few. And we just start chatting. And I ask, you know, where is he from? Where does he work? And he comes out and says, I work at one of the local wineries. And then, out of the blue, I I start talking about wine. And back then, I thought I was, you know, I knew a fair bit about wine. And when I say I knew a fair bit about wine, I knew the true secret of buying wine. Oh, yes. The true secret to buying wine is not to buy a really good brand. Oh, no. No, no. It's not to buy one of those ones that has the, you know, the gold label. It's won all those awards and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) No. It's not even to go to the really good wineries and get the inside tips from the people who actually know how to make wine and have, have been producing wine for, you know, 50, 60 years. Oh, no. I thought the true secret was this. To go to one of those winery places and buy some of the clean skin wines. Because that's where the magic lives. That's where the real stuff is. Not with these ones which have what we call labels. Oh no, no. Clean skins. For those who don't know, a clean skin is a bottle that actually doesn't have a label on it. No label. Mystery. They will have a description sometimes, which will say, you know, Merlot, Shiraz, Cab Sav, Pinot, stuff like that. But besides that, that's all you get. The cool thing is, and this is what I thought was particularly fantastic, was you paid a fraction of the price for this. 
I don't know why I love wine, but I also love it when I don't have to pay much for that wine. I know that sounds like I'm being incredibly cheap, but I think I can expose my flaws. This is a safe place. And you would pay not much at all. And I, I thought, reinforced from the guy that was selling it to me, who to whom, uh, seemed very impressed with me. And I, I respond very well to when people are very impressed with me. So I thought I knew a fair bit about wine. And I started to tell this guy who has openly said that he's worked at this winery for about 25 years that I buy clean skins. It's like I'm imparting this world knowledge to him because we're now kindred spirits, fellow Australians, at a bar, alcohol's being consumed. And before I leave, I want him to know the true secret because I'm pretty sure working at a winery for 25 years, he wouldn't understand how you know, the importance of wine. Only me, to whom I've actually bought about six bottles at a place to whom the guy encouraged me to move these clean-skinned wines. The look the guy gave me was one of pity mixed with disgust mixed with shame it, and confusion all in one pity disgust you know, shame and confusion all in one he even paused for a second and said to me could you repeat yourself please to whom i did he said Listen, mate, I knew I was in trouble when he you know, accentuated the word mate. Listen, mate, you need to promise me one thing. Mate, don't ever, ever buy a clean skin again. I started to rebut. Oh, well, the, the guy at the sales thing said they were fine. And I said that, and he's like, ah, 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 ah. So he talked to one of the bartenders. He knew them. And he got a bottle of wine. And he said, you see this? Yep, yeah, of course. He goes, this bottle of wine, they made the wine. They're proud of that wine. They put a label on that wine because they want people to know that it's their wine. Whether it's the best in the world or whether it's not, it doesn't matter. It's their wine. And they people they want people to know. And they'll tell you what kind of wine it is. And in his opinion, he said, you know, there's the Shiraz and there's the Merlot and stuff like that. Then you'll get the other ones, which are the, you know, the Cabernet Merlot, and they'll get blends of wines. And sometimes the Merlot's not good enough by itself. And so they blend them together. The wine that they don't even want their name associated with because it is that bad. They will sell it by the you know, the plastic drum. And someone will fill it with cheap bottles. And then they will put it on a shelf for people to come in to buy. Promise me you'll never ever do that again. Ever. I was stunned. I was floored. 
His logic seemed incredibly sound. I have the voice back in my head of the sales guy saying, it's a bargain, you might have some Brown Brothers or something or other, and you can pay next to nothing for what could be practically a priceless wine to this guy who seemed very professional, certainly a big consumer of the stuff, what I've spent with him, and his argument was a hell of a lot more sound. I promise this man, completely forget his name, I promise this man, let's call him Bob. I promise Bob, I'll never buy a clean skin again. And he made me say it again, and I said, I promise I'll never buy a clean skin again. And the look of, how do I impart this? The look of a person that felt as though they have saved me from a life of just, I don't know what, but they have saved me. To seal a deal, he picks up his glass and offers it, not as a, as much a, a, a gesture of, of brotherhood, but we are about to clink glasses, and this is a bond in blood. I bring up mine, and he says, don't do it if you don't mean it. I mean it. I absolutely mean it, and oh, I guarantee to you, I meant it. He wasn't hostile. He was just devoted, I guess, to good quality, great wine. He really loved producing wine. And I raised my glass. And slowly we brought it over, and we cheersed and clinked glasses, and we downed our alcohol, slapped that glass back down on the ground, and the bond was sealed. He reached over, patted me on the shoulder, gave my shoulder this sort of squeeze, and then walked off. I'd like to say I turned to the right, then I turned back, and he was gone disappeared, like he was never there, just dust and tumbleweeds and stuff like that, and there was no Bob. But no, he had trouble with the door, and, and, you know, it had been a while, and so he eventually made it out. It wasn't as, you know, it wasn't a great, great exit. But to this day, I have never bought a clean skin again. And I hear the same pitch, well, you never know. It's like, no. I made a promise to this guy. And frankly, in Australia, you you don't need to. You really, really don't need to. A $10 bottle of wine has, you know, best wine at such and such show in Europe. It's fantastic. And so you've just got so much variety and stuff like that. And so it's really not a problem. You just don't need to. I don't know what that guy is doing today. I reckon somewhere out there he's working on a winery I really do good on you Bob you sent me on the right direction and I thank you story number three similar to the first one I was in Singapore I had been on a This was many years ago. I was on a gig for the first time ever overseas. And 
you know, I was a young, ambitious person and I, I wanted to make my way in the world, fame and fortune and all that kind of stuff. And the company that I worked in at the time, they had a deal with another company over in Singapore and I was going to be over there for two weeks paid by the company. Oh my God. I'd arrived and I was about seven days in and I was getting along with all the people that was working there and there was a, you know, it was a big time business guy, contractor, that wanted to invite me and the uh, the other uh, New Zealand guy that I was with, um, co-working as well, to a traditional Chinese wedding. Now, one of the rules that I've always done is you always pack a suit because you never know, right? You never know if if wherever you're going, you're going to need to look sharp. Last thing you want to do is go to an event where you need to look sharp and you look rather blunt. So I had a suit. I think if I look back now in memory, it was an absolutely terrible suit, the cheapest I've ever had, but it was still a suit. Chinese wedding, traditional Chinese wedding. I was incredibly excited. It was like an eight course meal and it was wonderful. And when he said traditional Chinese wedding, I thought, I don't know what I thought. I thought bamboo. I thought those awesome outfits. I thought, you know, drums and, and, and traditional you know, Chinese mu- um, instruments. I, I wish I could say what they are, but you know the ones. Uh, whenever they start like a montage of a long time ago, a thousand years ago, the emperor such and such, you know the music they play. That's what I thought. What it actually was, was an amazing wedding. There was about 300 people there. Um, again, I kind of thought that, you know, coming along as a guest, I kind of thought they'd be like, whoa. You know, 10 people were there, but 300 people there. And as the bride and groom came out to a fairly small music amp that was clearly being distorted because of the loudness that they've turned it up. And as they walked through dry ice on the ground and lasers, I thought to myself, this is this doesn't seem the most traditional, but it looks awesome. And then the meals began. And I did I one of the things I wanted to do that night was no matter what was coming out, I was going to eat. That was it. And it was fantastic. There was there was sea cucumber. There was a, a fish that came out that um, it was very translucent. Don't know really what it was. Uh, it tasted almost of like an anchovy, but as if it's been sort of fried for a thousand years. Um, nice. Really, really good. Everything was, was absolutely fantastic. And it was one of those things that I looked around and started to think about all the different little traditional wedding you know, traditions that happen around the world, all with the common theme that we want to go and we want to have fun and we're celebrating you know, love and, and you know, the couple and stuff like that. In Australia, we have the chicken dance. It has to happen. I think it's in our constitution that during the night, the chicken dance will will start 
and then everybody will come on the dance floor and just dance to the chicken dance. It's, it, it's a thing. I think it's also tradition that speeches have to be, one, terrible, two, a bunch of inside jokes that only two people get, three, jokes themselves will fall absolutely and utterly flat, and five, actually, I think that's about it. Oh, and five, um, Cold Chisel will be played. That's for another night. But at this traditional Chinese wedding, they had this tradition called Yum Sing. Similar to the Yodi, people would get up and uh, cheer, and then they would they would you know start with the whole Yum, and then the crowd would return with Sing. And having been to Vietnam, I went, oh, I can get into this. This is fantastic. And I'll never, ever forget, because again, it was sort of escalating as it would go along. I think it was the grandfather, possibly even great-grandfather. This guy comes you know, to the stage. He's, 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 he's old. And he seems very, not very animated, but at the same time, he's full of joy. I don't have a clue what he's saying, but he's pointing to the couple and they're smiling in return. And then this small grandfather, great-grandfather, I'm going to go with great-grandfather considering how old he was. He could have sung or done a couple of token screams for a heavy metal band because this yum sing I don't know where it came from inside of him, but it went from this genteel great-grandfather to this bellowing. And he started from the deep down in his diaphragm and he built it up. And it kept going and going and going. And everybody in the entire room was just cheering this person. And he kept building up and up. Maybe he was an opera singer either in a former life or before he retired because I don't know how much oxygen he had in his lungs but it just went on and on and on and then breathed in and then just screamed out to the distorted microphone sing with everybody accompanying him we clinked glasses we cheered we banged on tables it was, yeah, you know when you meet those people, you know, senior people in life, and you're like, I want to age just like you. I've got two orientation points in my life that I want to do. Uh, one is Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters, because let's face it, that guy's aging really well. I want to, yeah, he's he's like my first orientation point. And the second one was this guy and the yum sing. If I'm like that, and I'm happy, and I'm just enjoying myself just like that, even if I'm 90, 100, 110, dare I say 120, I'll be in a good place. The last one is, it's a cool story, and it's certainly not as flamboyant as, as the previous one, so, but I wanted to end on this one, because it's so simple, and I think we've all been there. And it's this, I was in Detroit, all places, and I was hanging around the set um, of, a, of a film crew, and it had been a long day, a lot of stuff being carted around, and, and heavy work, and stuff like that, and 
the long days on film crews, they're, they're long. They start about, you know, 5.30 in the morning and they'll finish at, you know, 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night and they'll do this again and again and again for like 16, 17 days straight. And I've been watching this crew in awe because they're absolute professionals and every single time that they had to do, you know, one of their tasks, whatever it is, they would they would do to their 150%. Now, I fully understand that's mathematically impossible, but stay with me here. It's that sporting 150%. You know, they really would give their all. And I'd chip in where I could, but I was really just... I, I didn't want to break anything, to be honest. Everything looks so delicate. Um, so I didn't, and I didn't want to misplace anything because everybody seemed to know exactly where all the stuff was. And so the last thing I wanted to do was pick something up and move it around and, and yeah, and just get it lost. So I didn't. Anyway, it was about 6 p.m. I think it was one of the main streets in Detroit. By the way, before I continue, Detroit, oh my God, is one of the most amazing cities I have ever been to. I'm not lying. I am not lying. Let me tell you why. I know I'm meant to do the cheese thing, but it's a podcast and I can go for as long as I like. So we can do a slight deviation. Yeah. Detroit is one of those cities that is unique. I love, I love cities. And there's a song by Paul Kelly that basically says every effing city is the same. And for those who travel around the world, Somewhat kind of true. There's a certain city-esque thing about it. Certainly there's nuances and stuff like that. But every now and then you come across a city that you you enjoy and you say, there is no place on earth like that place. And Detroit is one of those. I'm, I'm no historian, but what it appeared to me was during the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, I think during the city of Detroit, because of the you know the, the motor vehicles and being able to produce the you know, the cars and stuff like that, the city itself and the companies that operated out of you know Detroit, the motor motor car city, had more money than God. And as a result, they built one of the most glorious, ostentatious cities that I'd ever seen. And then it all, you know, it all went away. And before I went, you know, I was warned, don't go. You'll only meet, you know, the most horrible people there. Don't, don't, don't go. I really do have a belief that this world, yes, there are exceptions, but by and large, this world is full of people that are nice and they want to you know just have friends and fall in love and have you know have a good time and just die happy i really do believe that and i think statistically i don't have the statistics in front of me but i think statistically yeah there is right and so i thought i'm not going to go there with this prejudiced mindset Come on, Detroit, what do you got? I remember walking along 
the municipal building of Detroit, and there's this guy that comes up, and he is full of pride. I'm looking around at this, what looks like a palace, even though it's a simple municipal building. Uh, If you live near Detroit, go there, check it out. It's awesome. This guy comes in, he's like, isn't this such a great place? And I'm like, yeah. And he instantly tells me that he was a, he was a young kid. He used to walk through these holes and he went, one day I'm going to work here. And then here I am now. I'm in the place where I'm working and I couldn't be happier. Like, good on you, man. Good on you. He shakes my hand and, and off he walks. I met people again and again. and They were the nicest people in the world. And the coffee in Detroit is bang on. Oh, the people in Detroit know coffee well. I, I, I might be a little bit non-patriotic, but there's I think there's some places where it's better than Melbourne. It was really good. Anyway, I had a great time. I love the city. I don't think there's any other place like, like that in the world, and I would love to go back one day, again and again. But we're back to the present moment. I'm in the middle of the street, and, and sorry, I'm on the side of a street, not in the middle of the street, and this film crew, they just got a six-pack of beer. I think it was a 12-pack, actually. Cause I, and they just they were just going to have a beer, celebrate the day. And they just they reach over and just... They offer me a can out of nowhere. And yeah, it was really cool. And then they just, on the simple, simple belief that we're having a beer, you're not drinking, you should have a beer too. I hear you're Australian. And at that point in time, I became the you know, ambassador for Australia. Um, and I don't know if you know, but we're kind of renowned for our love of beer. And so we shared a beer. The beer wasn't that great, but it wasn't the point. It was it was just the moment. You know when there's that, you give a drink. It could be you know, a person in an all-American bar, that complete stranger you've never met. It could be this guy giving, imparting wisdom and promising that you will follow it until the day you die. It could be the great-grandfather up on stage finding the lion in his, in his voice. Or it could be just a humble little film crew, just a bunch of people working their ass off the entire day and taking a moment to celebrate and just have that camaraderie and then bringing you into that moment, even though you're a complete stranger. Those are just some short stories that I have to think of. And I just wanted to share, you know, in part, because it's a common thread of the places that I have been. And I'm pretty sure that no matter where I would be in the world, if I held up a glass and offered to go cheers with someone, it would be returned. And there'd be that small but very important bond of friendship 